Would you stand in reverence to the reading of Scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Have you heard of pundit accountability? It's kind of a funny phrase, pundit accountability. I'd never heard of it until I read an article this week. The journalist was calling for this, calling on himself and other journalists. What he wanted them to do was publicly admit when they are wrong. He says, for those of us who have a public platform from which to speak or write, that so often we just continue to defend our position, or if we make a mistake, ignore it and act like it never happened. He said he thought we would have a much saner and more civic public conversation and be more well-informed if all of us who had a public forum to speak would admit when we were wrong. He says he was inspired by an epidemiologist from John Hopkins University who had written some dire things when part of the state of Texas, I believe it was, was canceling a mask mandate about a year ago. She had written that dire things were going to happen. She was writing now to say it didn't turn out as bad as I thought. There really weren't as many negative effects as I had predicted. And she was working to be honest and transparent about it. He said that really inspired him to do the same. He writes a lot about COVID. So in this column, he detailed two or three different articles he had written and how he now has better information or different information He said part of it just shows how unpredictable the virus is, but he said another part of it is how we decide to engage in public life together. He said, you know, there's no shame in being wrong. We're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to be wrong some of the time unless we never say or stand for anything or at least never say anything interesting or important. He says, it's not so much the problem that we make mistakes, but that we simply fail to admit them to ourselves or to others. Possibly Paul is dealing with this kind of situation in Corinth where the different factions are fighting, claiming they are right and the others are wrong and dividing the church, which is counterproductive, and maybe they are like our pundit was writing about afraid to ever admit that they might be wrong it's important to know that paul is the founder of the church at corinth he spent months and months there gathering these people preaching the gospel about jesus christ till he felt like he had them sufficiently organized and then he left there to preach the gospel in other parts now some people from there have come to see him and told him things are turbulent, there are quarrels, and they've broken into factions, and people are not getting along well. So he's writing back to these people 
that he organized to begin with and called into the family of faith to be followers of Christ. I think it's helpful to know all that background if we want to understand his theology and his strategy going forward. Paul is writing as an antidote to division and polarization. He's in favor of unity. He's calling these people back together to try to get along with one another. In these first three verses in this introduction, he's laying out his basic theology and foundation from which he's going to speak for the rest of the letter letter for these next several chapters. He rests his authority on his call from Christ. We heard it in the first verse. He starts with his name, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, it's helpful to know that apostle means one who is sent. So Paul's saying, I'm sent by Jesus Christ, but not only that, but by the will of God. In other words, it's the will of God that I came to proclaim the gospel to you and organized you into a church, but it's also the will of God that I'm writing to you now to help you get over this conflict and these quarrels. It's a pretty strong start, pretty hard to argue with one who is an apostle called and sent by the will of God in the name of Jesus Christ. I think it's also interesting to note here that he does not address any individuals in some of his letters he uses individual names he names the brother that's with with him in this but none of the individuals at Corinth does he name or any of the factions he writes to the church did you hear that in the first part of verse 2 he says to the church of God that is in Corinth in other words he's assuming and implying that their identity is a corporate identity, one that happens in community, that there's still a chance that they can be one or a unified group, that they are the church, not individuals of it. He also cleverly positions himself in unity with all of them as he continues in verse 2 and says to them that they are called to be saints together, but not only together with each other, he says with all those who in every place, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You can hear Paul's emphasis on the importance of the community. You can hear the importance of the Lordship of Christ as the basis for that community or for the umbrella under which all of them function. It's not my theology or my opinion that's most important, but who is Lord? That's the question Paul is asking. And of course, his answer is Christ is Lord. And he says it like this in that second verse. He says he's writing after he says to the church in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus sanctified or made whole or holy or called together in love or holiness that's to whom he is writing he's making the point in this introduction that it's not any individual that's most important here it's not any particular teacher or leader that's been important in your faith journey as much as it is to make sure you know who is Lord in your life. And of course, Paul's saying the gospel I preach to you and that I'm writing to you now is that Christ 
is our Lord and Savior. So that helps us, I think, begin to understand his theology and the strategy in terms of when he's arguing for unity, it's going to be based on that theology. Paul is saying it all begins with Christ. He's saying it begins with this foundational theological belief that Christ Jesus is at the center of everything. Paul says Christ Jesus is at the center of my identity and my calling. Christ Jesus is at the center or should be of your identity and the identity of the church and not only those of us gathered in a local place but together with everyone in every place that call on Christ as Lord. We are all connected and Paul is calling for unity among us. This is Martin Luther King weekend. Tomorrow will be Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, federal holiday, where we remember and revere Dr. King as a great American. Many of us know his I Have a Dream speech or maybe some other things that he wrote. There's a lesser known piece that he wrote as if he were Paul writing to America, modeled on this and other letters of Paul. I want to read you a few sentences out of what he wrote. This is how it starts. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To you who are in America, grace to you and peace from God our Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sounds familiar. But about midway through the letter as he's talking about segregation and civil rights, he writes this. Let me say something about the church. Americans, I must remind you, as I've told so many others, that the church is the body of Christ. When the church is true to its nature, it knows neither division or disunity. The tragedy is not merely that you have such a multiplicity of denominations, but many groups claim to possess absolute truth. Such narrow sectarianism destroys the unity of the body of Christ. God is neither Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, nor Episcopalian. God transcends our denominations. If you're to be true witnesses for Christ, you must come to know this, America. Then later in the letter, he turns back to the nature of love as revealed in Christ and writes, I must say to you, as I said to the church of Corinth, that love is the most durable power in the world. I have discovered the highest good is love. This principle is at the center of the cosmos. It is the great unifying force of life. God is love. The one who loves has discovered the clue to the meaning of ultimate reality. And then just before the end of the letter, he picks up on this theme that we're reading about here in Corinthians today and says the greatest of all virtues is love. Here we find the true meaning of the Christian faith and of the cross. Calvary is a telescope through which we look into the long vista of eternity and see the love of God breaking into time out of the hugeness of of his generosity or you could say grace 
God allowed His only begotten Son to die that we may live. By uniting ourselves with Christ and with humanity through love, we will be able to matriculate in the university of eternal life. In a world depending on force, coercive tyranny, and bloody violence, you are challenged to follow the way of love. I think you can hear Dr. King coming from the same foundation as Paul, saying the foundation is Christ and the love of God revealed through Christ. This good news in Christ comes to you as a living promise in this new year. What if we were to claim that promise as ours and work toward unity with others? What if we would take the lead of Paul or Dr. King and put unity at the center of our efforts even as we work with those with differences of opinion? What if in America, as Dr. King wrote, as Paul, what if in America we decided it was better not to attack others? Not that we don't have honest disagreements, but if we would avoid attacking other people and claim love and grace at the center of our lives and let it lead us into these discussions. What if we wanted nothing more than in 2022 to know the love and grace of God? What if we wanted nothing more to let that seep deep into us so that we embody it in all that we say and do? Last week, I had us read from John Wesley's covenant service. And in that service is the Wesleyan covenant prayer. We read it here together. It points us and leads us in that same direction of surrendering all of who we are to God and asking God to fill us and lead us and use us as God would do. Here is the offer that God makes for us in Christ that Paul reiterates in this passage grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ the question is who is Lord of your life who's ruler of your heart will you allow this grace this unmerited love of God to shape and form your identity and be your foundation? Henry Nouwen was a great spiritual writer. He's passed on now, but he was a priest and a professor and a very popular public speaker. Lots of his books still in print. I'm using one of them this year, a selection of his readings as part of my devotional life. I want to read a part of what he says He's writing about this struggle between being grounded in the love of God or allowing other things to hold sway in our lives. Let me read you a few of his sentences. He writes this, Jesus lived his life from that inner place of love. Although human rejections, jealousies, resentments, and hatred did hurt him deeply, he remained anchored in the love of the Father. At the end of his life, he said to his disciples, Listen, the time will come and has come already when you're going to be scattered, each going his own way and leaving me alone. 
And yet I am not alone, Jesus says, because the Father is with me. Now, and Henry now and then says, I now know that the words spoken to Jesus when he was baptized, that he is God's beloved, are words also spoken to me and all who are followers of Christ. My tendencies towards self-rejection and self-deprecation make it hard to hear these words truly and let them descend into the center of my heart. But once I have received these words fully, I am set free from my compulsion to prove myself to the world. Once I have accepted the truth that I am God's beloved child, unconditionally loved, I can be sent into the world to speak and act as Jesus did. I think the Corinthians are still struggling with believing that all are God's beloved. They begin to divide themselves into factions and attack other people based on which leader they liked best or which particular theology they most resonated with. Perhaps they're still struggling with this compulsion to prove themselves as Henry Nouwen talks about it. But Paul wants these Corinthians, as he begins to address them, oh, he's going to get to some specific struggles later, but in the beginning, he's calling for this unity and making this offer to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever differences you may have with others, what if you considered before speaking or acting each and every time that Christ is Lord of your life and tried to think through how can I lead with love and grace and how can I offer and embody that to others? How can I let that descend into the center of my heart to use Henry Nouwen's language? What difference would that make for you this year Whenever you encounter factions or criticisms or conflicts or differences or attacks, Nowen says it makes all the difference. Just as Paul says this to the Corinthians, listen again to that last part Nowen wrote. I think it's so powerful. He says, once I have accepted the truth that I am God's beloved child, unconditionally loved, I can be sent into the world to speak and to act as Jesus did. Powerful words. It is a great way to start your year with Christ. May you receive this grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And thanks be to God.